The Dangerous Twisted Mystery Podcast. Less cozy, more ugly. Warping listeners' minds since 2022. Music by Dangerous. Narrated by Twisted. Chapter 8. The Voice in His Head. The voice in his head cried, Legacy! And then again, Legacy! The voice in his head was actually in the room. Wagner was inches away from his ear, and her tone was anything but secretive. She had the distinct, I won't be taken for granted attitude of a rankled subordinate, the kind that begs not to sound needy. Odd combination, Legacy thought. So was the sight that met Legacy's eyes. Wagner was now across the room, waiting with an impatient pose, proving that Legacy needed to think faster. Are you listening now? What do you think? She gestured to her outfit, like she was a runway model showing off the newest fashion. Legacy's eyes nearly popped out of their sockets. Wagner had to be referring to the form-fitting sheer black top that she was now wearing. Under it, a bright fuchsia bra radiated a call for attention. Wagner explained that she didn't want to come off as uncomfortable under scrutiny. And since Legacy made her more uncomfortable than anyone she'd met, she decided to run her wardrobe by him first. The stunning part, other than the obviously stunning part, was that Legacy had the feeling he'd seen the outfit before. This is an exact copy of something I saw on a prostitute. Legacy turned to hide a smirk. I can tell. Wagner wasn't in the mood for a joke. I'm going undercover, pure and simple. It is immature for anyone to think anything else about this outfit. This will make me fit in better for the afternoon, right? Legacy snapped back to the present. Lacey. Wagner looked lost. From the subway entrance on 25th. You copied Lacey. I walk by her corner every night on the way home. She wears that on Thursdays. Fridays. I told you my methods aren't 100%. Wagner crossed her arms in front of her body in a gesture that resembles one of that of a pissed-off prostitute waiting to be paid. Legacy quickly buried the thought and its origin. So, I'm going into the field. When I said they'll think you're an undercover cop in a suit, I didn't mean you had to dress so local. I just was looking for you to tone it down so that they didn't run away. Legacy could see the self-consciousness flooding into Wagner's face, along with a wash of fresh blood. She had taken the initiative to dress like a whore for no reason at all. Legacy knew what she needed. He turned away. But now that I think about it, this might make your job much easier. She shifted in her high heels. Wagner walked with perfect balance, even on uneven ground. I still don't see what we need from adult film stars. We've brought in experts. I read their reports. None of them have ever been in a position of subordination like these girls. None of them have an idea of what's going through her head. He tapped the photo on a wall. It was Missy, looking at the camera, right before a session was about to begin. Her eyes looked vacant. Her hair and makeup looked like a movie star's. She bore no resemblance to the woman they'd kidnapped. The seriousness of the task flooded into Legacy's voice. I need to interview five to ten women. Have them in my office at one. That gave him a few more hours. He looked at the photos on the wall. Wagner had done an excellent job of recreating the exact placement of the papers as they were spread across his room at home. Part of Legacy's gift was spatial geometry. His eyes had a mind of their own, 
automatically drawn to and connecting specific parts of the investigation like constellations before his brain made the connection. Many times, Legacy would find that his eyes were staring exactly at the report or at the exact place in a photo where his mind could find the next breakthrough in a case. He explained it this way, All of the years extracting observational information out of others had made his eyes smarter than his brain. Interrogation is all about adding up the visual information a subject is showing, then piecing it together, and then finding out what's missing. There are unique rhythms to a man while he's under stress. Find out what makes him sweat on the upper lip while his underarms remain dry, and those lips will start to flap. Legacy was staring at a picture of a computer screenshot. He didn't know why. It was a money counter showing the real-time updated ransom amount. This was the hallmark of the financial side of the abduction scheme website. Missy's body and soul had been worth $2 million. It was an approximate figure based on the estimates of viewership and the commerce patterns of the industry. The money side of the crime verged on elegant, Legacy thought, tapping the progress bar that never gave out the amount of the donations, just charted the progress from 1% to 100% of the ransom paid. Out in the vast distribution center, every minute of every day since Missy went missing, her abductors were amassing a small fortune. A series of offshore websites broadcast every moment of every show. Three to five daily broadcasts showed her stripped naked and used as an instrument of pornography by one or more of the abductors. The real perverts kept the channel on well after the sex was over to watch the girl wait, frightened and alone, for the next session. The money poured in. Legacy had read that the Pamela Anderson-Tommy Lee tape had been worth more than $300 million in direct sales. People came out of the woodwork to get a glimpse of pornography with a recognizable face, something they weren't supposed to see. Now these abductors had found another way to market to those buyers. The free version of the site broadcast a still picture every six minutes. $10 gave the viewer 10 minutes of streaming video. Then, like a peep show, the window would close. The site started out as a novelty item, advertising that a prom queen from Florida was about to become cum queen of America. They boosted the authenticity of the site by scanning newspaper photos of the girl and the story of her abduction. The sites themselves were outsourced to foreign soil, countries that had become cottage industries to smugglers, thieves, traffickers, and money launderers, and where laws regarding corporate privacy gave the companies almost complete amnesty regarding information transfer. The outlets were further protected by the threat leveled by the abductors. They promised that if any of the distributors were shut down or if their offices were raided, the girl would be killed. In fact, whoever built the security around the router keys that repeated the signal from its origins to the outlets where it went out live to the public was a certified genius. Legacy went over the list of suspects that possessed the kind of qualifications that would baffle an entire federal investigative team for months. It was a very short list. Not surprisingly, much of the original focus of the investigation had been on finding the programmer. If they could find the go-between that linked the broadcasters to the distributors, the investigation would be over in an instant. However, the investigation had turned up nothing. Legacy felt the futility of the reports like Braille beneath his fingers. It was a physical force, and the message was clear. He decided to review the timeline. Broadcasts started about three months ago, in early June. 
Viewership began slowly and then picked up when more people began to believe that what they were seeing was real. Like the symptoms of a sickness, a viral audience grew. It's more than a little bit disgusting that authenticity piques curiosity in this area, but all reports by the sex experts that Wagner had mentioned agreed that it wasn't the actual act of sex that drew the crowd. It was the sex with someone that the crowd felt they knew. They might not know this prom queen, but everyone has some prom queen in their collective pasts. She may not be known for her beneficent personality as much as her beauty and attitude, but she is known, and she is familiar. She is also a target for attention, the darkness of which she may not have considered. Kids can be cruel, Legacy thought, while looking through the work of adults scattered over the walls. He was looking for a sophisticated organization based on high school impulses. Ten minutes for ten dollars. It sounded like chump change, the kind of money an afternoon pole dancer earned sliding up one leg of a stockbroker on his lunch hour. The piston-driving power of ten dollars can only be fully understood with a scaling factor of computers. Ten overfed, undersexed, prom queen reminiscent guys hit this site like fly-to-flypaper. They went on it all day so they could tape it and keep it close to their collection of figurines from some science fiction movie that totally changed their lives and broadened their understanding of men's place in the universe. That kind of devotion is $240 a day, times 10. Now, throw in the mix a spike in viewership when the action really gets going. Maybe 100 people stop in for a quick peek at one of those three to five sex shows a day. That's almost $10,000. Now add in the foreign market, the guys who never had a prom queen, but wouldn't mind seeing one spread wide, tied to a chair. The hook for the site had teeth, and brought bite to the back of any decent person's throat. The site claimed that every dollar went to the ransom for the girl. The individual consumer was buying the girl's freedom. At the undisclosed price, the girl would be released. The people who paid the ransom were encouraged to think that they were doing something good, something helpful for the girl. This little grace note opened up a new market, the people who sought to justify their perversion. The despicable result was that in ten days, their first victim had netted her entire ransom. The second was a weather girl from New Hampshire, Carla. Her take was estimated at double Missy's total. The next was a weather girl from Texas, Brit. Her angel face brought in an estimated ransom of over ten million. The next girl was an animal rights activist in Northern California, Jamie. She stalled out at 90% of her target ransom. Hers was the body that they'd found in the woods outside of Brunswick, Maine. The girl on screen now was a stage actress from New York, Tracy Bell. She'd been in captivity for over a week, and with publicity spilling over from an underground sex industry to a mainstream national case, the money totals were staggering. It wasn't quite a credible news story yet. All of the girls filed police reports, but half had then publicly recanted that they were the ones that were on the internet. The public didn't know whether to believe it or not. Clearly, everybody wanted the whole thing to be a staged hoax, designed to make money off the gullible, but it became harder to swallow when Jamie did not come home. A dead body is a hard thing to argue with. The FBI had tried to keep a lid on the scope of the investigation, they thought the publicity would give the vinyl men exactly what they wanted, a greater audience, with no ransom drop-off, no geographical clues for where they were hiding, and no contact from the abductors, the FBI needed more time. 
Legacy knew, however, that time was running out. The latest girl taken was the daughter of the FBI director. But she was more than that. The public face of the Bureau, even while finishing her training. It was a tradition to have a junior cadet fill this position. The idea was that they were transitioning from civilian to agent. They were well-suited to transfer information from the inner culture to the outer culture. They were making that very change themselves. The scrutiny would become national the moment she hit the air. There was no hiding this kind of truth. The director of the most powerful institution in the nation was going to witness his daughter stripped naked in front of a camera lens. With the largest standing army of law enforcement officers in the world at his disposal, there was nothing he could do but watch and wait. Rape, real and undeniable, was about to become a mainstream spectator sport. Thousands of miles away, or perhaps even next door, something awful was about to happen. Chapter 9. Blue. A raven's hair nest moved slightly on an overstuffed pillow on the bed in the center of a perfectly rectangular room. Her head was throbbing like her brain was trying to pound its way out of her skull. Mitch? Her voice grumbled, dark and yet playful. Mitch, I think I melted my head. In the echo of the voice that came back at her, bouncing off the tin walls, soaking into the carpet, she felt, or just knew, something was wrong. This wasn't her room. She could tell by the way her voice traveled through it. Laura knew she wasn't at home. Her eyes snapped open. She decided in the darkness that she'd overreacted. She was on a bed in a comfortable position. A voice in her head chastised herself for acting like a child. She moved her hair out of her eyes and peeked around at her surroundings. Danger. Not in canvas anymore, she muttered. The bed creaked. Her legs folded into a crouched position underneath her. This was a dangerous place suddenly. Her training kicked in and she cased her environment like a thief planning to rob something from it. Walking from end to end, she felt the uneven floor shift slightly, as if it were on springs. There was no foundation. The walls were thin. A tap from her nails brought the sound of a metallic snare. A cool breeze circulated from an evaporative cooler in the ceiling. Her fingers skidded along one of the narrow metal ridges that reinforced the structure halfway up the wall. A slot, wide enough for a videotape, interrupted the journey of her fingers. The odor around the opening was stale, like the kitchen of a nursing home. She would be fed through this slot. Laura realized that she was on a mobile platform, a boxcar or cargo trailer, converted to house laboratory animals. What exactly was the experiment? Close by, Blue was carefully, methodically sponge-bathing an unconscious Tracy Bell. His hands massaged the glistening tan skin, skimming the curves. As the warm, sudsy water poured over her body, she began to stir. Blue moved to her feet and began massaging them. There was something giddy about Blue's movements. It was like he was watching himself from some kind of distant perspective and trying to make a good impression. Or maybe it was just an active mind spilling out into the sadistic, overthought physical expression. Either way, when he spoke, his tone was measured and assured. Rise and shine. He dusted her legs with golden glitter. Somebody has 90 percentage points to be happy with this morning, 
Tracy perked up, but found her hands and legs shackled to the floor and spread in a depiction resembling triumph and helplessness all in one. How long do I have? They're cutting you loose after the initiation, about 20 hours from now. What if I don't get 100%? What will they do to me? You will. Blue began painting her quivering lips with a fire-engine red lipstick. Give it all you got, and the money will come flying in. He jingled the lock on a chain while pulling up the fishnet stockings through the cuff on the restraint. They should give me the keys to these things. Don't know why they don't. They told me once that they don't trust you. Blue gave a bashful look to the floor, as if he couldn't bring himself to meet her eyes. I never told you that. What do you think you'd do if you had the keys, Blue? Tracy's eyes shone through the satin mask that Blue tied gently behind her head. She leaned her head forward and kissed his palm. I'm worried, Blue. Blue pulled away. There, you look like a fallen angel. You are going to pile up the money today. Tears began to run down Tracy's freshly rouged cheeks. The smears resembled war paint. Blue tisk-tisked with a sugary, fatherly tone. He cupped her face with his hands and gently tilted her eyes to meet his sky-blue pupils. I'm only letting them send in two today. You need a break, he added in a pleading tone. I want to take care of you. He blinked, and his colored contacts shifted just enough for Tracy to notice them. She could not have known that if the contact seats itself quickly after a blink, the pupils are in a state of rest, and that the speaker is telling the truth. An active pupil, one that is engaged in generating a story, will cause the contact to seat in a two-stage, triangular fashion. If she had known what to look for, she might have known that she was being lied to. No, her voice caught in her throat in a rushed panic. I need ten percent, right? I only have one day left. You told me that the cash flows best. You, you said... She couldn't make herself voice the request. A glint in Blue's eyes meant that he knew what she was asking for. His work was almost done with this one. He had bent her around his will. Now she was asking begging for the opportunity to multiply her troubles. He was sure the other vinyl men would oblige her. Blue remembered the defiance of those first days. It had been turned around completely. It was good that the room had no mirrors, because Tracy would definitely not recognize the person she had become. She was now willing to do anything for the opportunity to leave. The boundaries would be tested today. Blue shook his head. Imitating pity before leaving the room would strengthen her resolve make her justify her actions as pure self-preservation. He had wound her up, and the string just needed to be pulled. Whatever rules, whatever roles they made up today, would be played by this actress with reckless abandon. It was too easy, really. And he might have actually mimicked the final words she said in parting, words spoken exactly as he expected, right down to the cadence. Don't let them kill me. She was unable to turn her head far enough to see him, Tracy strained against her restraints, but Blue stayed just out of sight. Outside of the room, he answered her in a quiet, overly pleasant tone. I won't. He began to hum, singing in the rain. Blue scuffed his feet and thought about how much like sickly sweet sunshine it would be to kill her himself. Not this time, he thought. Not this time. Legacy 
Legacy sat in a room with a group of silo-chested women. It was all silicone, saline, and attitude with this crowd. And with the number of administrative gawkers slowly walking by his open door, Legacy perceived that attention was the fickle servant of nature. In other words, it didn't matter how it got there, as long as it was there. Fashion hugged, tugged, and stretched sparingly over all areas that men discover with their eyes. The posture in the room was strangely competitive. It was like all of them were vying for the attention of the straight-laced, square-jawed Agent Legacy. He must have been a complete change from the crowd that they usually entertained. He began in a commanding voice. Wagner noticed that all of the pierced belly buttons were suddenly at attention, something Legacy would have noticed had he been looking there. His eyes were on their eyes. His voice was confidential, like he was speaking to a room of equals. He worked to give them immediate, unconditional respect, because he needed expert answers, and they had the experience. I have slowed down four areas on the tape that indicate what I believe to be a significant behavior by our abductors. I could be wrong. However, any comments that you have will inform me on how to catch a group of sex offenders that deeply deserve to be in a prison system where they will certainly get similar or worse treatment than they're doling out. The unexpected barb at the end of the hook took a minute to sink in, but it was evidently very appreciated by the crowd. A young Latina, with a stretched t-shirt that said, sexy, began to tear up, laughing. The crowd joined her laughter, and the gathering became more like a social hour than a formal questioning. Legacy had summoned up just enough charm to bring the group to him. That made him want to retreat into his normal, detached self, but he knew that this was just the beginning. A curt nod to Wagner, who stood at the oversized television screen that they had wheeled in for the proceedings, and she began the presentation. She pushed play on the VCR, and as the events unfolded on tape, the room filled with comments. Everything was fair game, and at times, the voiced conversation with the screen seemed a little too candid. None of the standard viewing positions, a sassy black tube-topped sexpert criticized. You want to see this, and this, and this, and all you see is this. She paused, then huffed. Nothing special about that. She pointed to areas on the screen with a perilously long pink glitter-painted fingernail. Wagner entered the conversation, her voice sounding more abrupt than she'd intended. What's wrong with that? Legacy shot her a glance. She knew that he didn't want their guests to feel like they were among cops. Tubetop laughed it off. She pointed out angles like a pool shark. Honey, if you got this, this, and this going on, you want people to see it. Why else would you have it going on? Sexy noted, look at the face. She doesn't want any of it. The levity was sucked out of the room. What tells you that? Wagner burst in again. Sexy squinted, as if she didn't like the question. Uh, lots of things. She's got a survival face going on said Tube Top, picking up the thought. Everybody has gotten themselves in too deep once or twice in their career. A young-looking brunette with thick black eyeliner tattooed in a pattern that continued down the smile lines, giving her a permanent cat-eye look, added, Where they get too deep in you, the one in the violet is in no danger of that. She pointed to Violet, a huge man in all ways but one. Tube Top had a belly laugh that shook the floor. 
That's unproprofessional, that is. Legacy could feel the air returning in the room, and with that feeling, he knew that they were ready for the tough questions. So this strikes you as wrong. You never have worked with anything like this. Sexy did a little shimmy. CDs? They're fake. And I wouldn't be in front of a camera without them. Purple Man is as wrong as you get for this kind of entertainment. She looked Legacy up and down. Let's say, Agent, that you're like Purple Man under your clothes. That's all right with me. The room murmured agreement, and Legacy suddenly found himself being regarded as if he were a prize at auction. Tube Top snickered. Dress him up like Bo Peep, and I'll be one of his sheep. Legacy gave a wink to Tube Top, and she had to fan herself. Wagner watched through a shocked expression as he played to his audience. Legacy quickly took advantage of his sudden status in the room. I'm curious about this behavior here. He showed a section of the tape where the girl was blindfolded. Then the camera jiggled just before Blue entered the frame holding a sex toy. The women in the room flinched watching Blue go to work on the girl. A scream escaped the lips of the girl. It poured out of the speaker before Legacy could pause the tape. This isn't normal either, I would guess. Tube top. I've seen people beg for worse. The action of bumping the camera. It's just the only time he joins the action. I have no explanation for it. Legacy was frustrated himself. He scanned the room and found something in the way Sexy stared at the screen. This makes sense to you? Sexy started slowly. I seen something like that. A producer on my 27th film had a limp biscuit, and he got off like that on a girl in the film. Tattoo. How many films did you do before you stopped counting? That's when you know your innocence is lost. Tube Top chimed in. I stopped at 150. Numbers cascaded around the room. One of the girls counted all the way up to 600. Sexy ended it with, I counted till 27. After four hours of questions and answers, Legacy abruptly thanked the group and moved to the door. As he left the room, he signaled a young agent standing outside the door with a large cardboard box. Legacy had arranged for FBI windbreakers from the central office gift shop to be sent over. A glance into the room from the hallway revealed that the group of women were overjoyed, fighting over sizes and genuinely thrilled with the show of appreciation. Instead of being pleased, Legacy allowed himself a rare moment of emotional judgment to creep into his mind. Legacy saw the adult film stars for a moment as girls who had fathers somewhere. His daughter was at home, waiting for him to return. Chess There were voices in the hallway minutes before six o'clock. Chess heard the muffled sounds and lost all concentration on her homework. The conversation was stationary, parked just outside of her door. Now that was unusual. The doorway was a no-talking zone. Alongside her father's hushed baritone was a woman's voice. Chess looked around the room for some sign that the universe at large had been altered in some kind of fundamental way. Before she could fully develop an alternate reality theory that allowed for her father to be talking to women outside of the door of their home, the clock struck six. The locks twisted and released. The percussive progression in perfect 3-4 time. Legacy either had an unconscious devotion to the waltz, or a driving need to keep those in straight time waiting for that extra beat. There was a pause before the door opened. For Chess, 
It was like the tides had failed to pull in the next wave, and the shock didn't end there. An additional surprise occurred after the door opened. As Legacy entered, she could hear footsteps trailing away. It was all but impossible. It wasn't a chance conversation or brief hallway greeting. Someone had actually walked him to the door and then departed. Legacy never allowed anything to intrude upon his routine. The door closed with a sharp click. Her father walked up and wrapped her up in a warm hug. Okay, now this is getting creepy, she said in a subversive teenage tone. Legacy nodded noncommittally. He agreed that the world was a pretty creepy place today. It got better when Chess extended her arms around him and squeezed back. What's up with you today? He accepted the fatherly embrace, but he must have noticed tension running through her wrists. Chess moved quickly to ensure her advantage of surprise. She locked her hands in the small of Legacy's back, and using a judo move, she leaned heavily on her right leg, pulling back her left to shift his weight. Chess was top of her class, and it was a maneuver that sent her other classmates flying. But with Legacy, it barely rocked him back and forth, instead turning their hug into a dance. Almost, he said, kissing her forehead. Do you have time tonight? Legacy said, pulling back with his hands on her shoulders. We could go to the range. The general rule is that we only go on the weekends. Chess must have seen something in her father's expression that made her want to give him a break. Legacy thought back later that it must have been something pretty strong because the teenage girl's response threshold for giving her father a break is almost insurmountable. Instead of offering more resistance, she changed the topic. Other kids go bowling with their parents and made a gun with her forefinger and thumb. Other kids' parents take them to the ice capades. Do you want to start doing that? Legacy played upon Chess's deep dislike for anything kitsch or tacky. What's going on? I want to see my daughter shoot. Is there anything more natural than that? Legacy replied. Chess stopped and seemed to be thinking it over. There were probably many things wrong with what he'd said, but she wasn't in the mood for being difficult. Or was she? Who was out in the hallway? I only ask because I'm not old enough to control my impulse to make you uncomfortable. I have a new case, a live one. Chess slipped on her jacket and headed for the door. If you have something important to do at work, you can stay there after hours, you know that. Legacy's voice dipped into a deep baritone. Nothing will ever be more important than family. He knew that his choice of words left Chess to fill in the emotional central missing word. Legacy noticed Chess pause in thought. Again. That was the word that rattled around in the minds of both father and daughter. It was not spoken. They walked out of the house. Legacy patted his jacket, feeling for his empty holster. He checked his own sidearm out of the cage every day when he arrived at work, and checked it back in on the way out the door. He would pick up Chess's thirty-eight from the gun locker he had at the range. Legacy only allowed one gun in the house, and it was fingerprint-coded to he and Chess alone. There was a microchip in the butt of the gun that wouldn't unlock the firing mechanism unless it recognized the finger on the trigger from a three-dimensional laser scan that took only a quarter of a second to process. The gun made a decision faster than the owner could squeeze the trigger. Legacy had spent three years of bonuses on the technology in that gun, and it had never been fired. Wagner Wagner was waiting for her drink at a coffee shop across the street from Legacy's apartment building when she watched him leave. 
She had just ordered a latte with three extra shots of espresso, apparently called a late-nighter. The male barista looked at Wagner's hair, tightly swept back across her pale forehead, and decided to throw caution to the wind. "'All-nighter for an all-nighter,' he announced, flashing his most charming smile. "'My number's on the cup.' Wagner looked up at his eyes. He was cute, and it didn't matter one bit to her. "'I've decided I'd like it iced.' She pushed the drink back across the bar. Laura. Shivering on her floor cell, Laura huddled in a thin blanket ripped off the bed. The restraints kept her arms wrapped behind her. It was a special precaution. She'd heard Blue talk about it. They knew they weren't dealing with a helpless victim, and Laura sensed that they liked taking her power away. They'd bathed and prepped her body while she'd lain still as a cadaver. She hadn't answered the blue one when he carefully painted a tattoo onto her inner thigh. She knew that she had less than twelve hours to escape. Laura found a rough patch of splintered wood on the floor, and she scraped it across with a nylon that held her shoulders locked behind her like some kind of iron embrace. It wouldn't be long now. Like a set of shoelaces, the ropes were loosening at the center, and soon she'd be free. That's when Laura heard the noise. <laughs> 